Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. But yeah, should we uh, talk some basketball here? <laughs> I'll do this one quickly in the discussion from Jay. Uh, do you and Nate ever work the chatter in Discord? I do. Um, I'm not there all the time, but I am there some of the time. Uh, I, I, somebody once said that I'm I'm present enough for them to be paranoid about it, but not present enough for them to think about it, which I thought was a pretty good description. Um, but yeah, so doing that. But now we can get to the speaker request. Daniel, you're next. Hey, can you guys hear me? Can yeah, we had me? all kinds of problems. Uh, Danny, are you there? Hey, can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay. Uh, Pacers question here. Um, I've kind of I've noticed that the draft record under Kevin Pritchard is kind of poor for me. Uh, TJ Leaf and Aaron Holiday, like the archetypes of those players, just like don't really fit in the league to me. Um, and then obviously drafting Yoga Batadze when you have Sabonis and Turner like didn't make a ton of sense. Um, but you guys have also talked a lot about how they're really good at finding guys on other teams who can step into a bigger role or even a different role. Um, and they get a lot out of those guys. They sign under really good contracts. So I'm curious, like. What do you guys think the difference is? Like, why are they good at some of those aspects of team building, but they can't quite seem to get it right in the draft and how they go out fixing that? I think you might be being too hard on them uh, for the draft. I think uh, Batadze, yeah, they had Turner and Sabonis. You still need another big in theory. And also they might want to trade one of those two guys at some point uh, as well. And I, I think Batadze has taken some steps forward this year. I, I, as a shooter and shot blocker, I, think, I don't think that the process was not sound there. I think that was a pick that was widely lauded at the time. Aaron Holiday looked like he was going to be good, and now he's kind of fallen off this year for whatever reason. Reason, but supposedly they could have gotten a first round pick for him if they had traded him last year who, who are the the other picks that you take issue with i mean you guys have talked about tj leaf a lot i don't think anyone's really questioning that one um it's it's oh more, yeah that was obvious that was atrocious sure, i'm with you on that sure and it, it's more like the archetype again it's like okay batadze is a low-end starting center maybe max and we've talked about how centers aren't you know always where you use your draft capital and aaron holiday just being a smaller guard um with not a lot of playmaking instinct so just I I see the process being really good in a lot of aspects for the team, but I don't necessarily see it in the draft. So I'm just curious about that. Well, I, I think the the element of it, I think back to the conversations I have with Sam Vecini about, you know, like that if all else fails, draft a wing. Because the idea is that their 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 hit rate isn't necessarily better. And in fact, in many times it's worse than other players, but it's just that if it hits, it's a more valuable player. I think there is some merit to that, especially when with the TJ Leaf case. Um, and there were some good players on the board then too. Jared Allen, OG and Anobi, I believe, were out there. Um, but yeah, I, I think that Pritchard, you know, the, the TJ Warren acquisition, I think, is the best one. I mean, remember the craziness that they acquired him as a negative value asset, at least as evaluated by James Jones, who has done a wonderful job in almost every other part of it. Um, and then Warren becomes this very good player for them before the current I- injury issues he's having. I think that in certain circumstances, like 
I, I don't know how front offices are structured in terms of like whether they use the same pro. I think most use different pro scouts and, and college slash amateur scouts. So it could potentially be something there. And it could also be just seeing players like let's say let's say that your the premise of your question is valid. Let's just for because I think it's a worthwhile exercise. I, I think that in that case, it is it is interesting because sometimes seeing whether a guy has NBA caliber athleticism, whether some of that stuff translates, there are some parts of that that are actually easier, to, much easier to evaluate when they're an NBA player, even if they're in the wrong system. Uh, thank you to Dan. Uh, oh yeah, sorry. Just, oh. Yeah, thank, no, thank you, thank you. Oh no, thank you. Um, move on to uh, to Tom. Tom, you are next on the air. Hey guys, uh, can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay, great. So, big Nets fan, and I've been kind of pleasantly surprised by how well LaMarcus Aldridge has played so far. And so, you know, you have you add him to the big man rotation with Jeff Green and Nick Claxton, and obviously they'll do a lot of KD at the five in the playoffs. But I guess I sort of have a two-part question. First, which of those bigs do you think is going to play the most in the playoffs, and perhaps which one should? Because, you know, it may be that there may be a preference among uh, Kevin Durant as, as, as part of the management for one player. Yeah, I would say, so let's establish our universe here. We got Jeff Green, we got LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, Nick Claxton, and DeAndre Jordan. Yeah. So you, you've got those five guys. I think in most matchups, Jeff Green, I, I you said Kevin Durant at center. I'm guessing you would include playing him with Jeff Green in yeah. that. So, yeah. so to go to more of a switching group, get a little more shooting on the floor as well to play a, a five outside, or you can play a four out one in, but have Bruce Brown kind of be the one in to get a little bit more running, a little bit more defense on the perimeter if you need more defense on the perimeter. So let's say you're going up against the Celtics. Maybe you're more likely to want to go that route to get some more perimeter defense out there. If you're going up against Philly, then maybe, uh, you know, I guess DeAndre Jordan is probably their best post defender, although they don't really have anyone that I look at as being great. Nick Claxton is going to just get put in the goal and foul out in about two seconds against Joel Embiid and Griffin. His arms are too short. Maybe Aldridge has some veteran tricks guarding in the post. He's never really been asked to do that that much, but maybe we could see it uh, against him. And then if you're going up against Giannis, I guess either Claxton or Green would probably be your best option there. Uh, It doesn't matter who they play probably against anyone else. Uh, I I guess against Miami, too, against Bam. That might be an interesting decision of who you'd want to go with there. Like If Bam wants to really attack the basket, which he only kind of does sometimes. Uh, So I think it really depends a ton on the matchup. But if you want to say... In general, who I think the best guys are is probably Jeff Green and Nick Claxton when everyone is healthy. I think when they're not healthy, then some of the uh, Aldridge Griffin skill set becomes more useful. Yeah, I, I guess that thinking makes sense. I guess, I guess my thought is I still see Nick Claxton as the best defensive option of all those, and I'm just wondering. I agree. How how much he's really going to play now that you know you, you add Lamarcus as to be fair a, a more viable option than I thought he would be. How how that's going to impact how much Claxton is playing in those playoff minutes? Yeah, that's a it's an interesting question, and Claxton we'll see. We've seen young bigs play well during the regular season and then they're just too thin and they foul too much and they make too many mistakes although it's better in a switching system it doesn't matter as much so i i you never know i think they're going to try a lot of different things potentially and we still don't know what it looks like with their three stars and joe harris who's the best fit there you would think that would be claxton 
but you know maybe it's Bruce Brown, maybe it's uh, Jeff Green as well. He's more of a veteran. He's probably the most versatile of those. If Clapson had a little more meat on his bones, then I'd say, oh, it's clearly him. But right, uh, like guys might just be able to go right through him. We haven't seen him against really the best guys yet in the playoffs. Okay, great. Well, thank you for taking my question. Thanks for joining us. Um, we'll go to Cameron because he was originally going to be the first questioner. Cameron, you're on the air. Hey guys, can you hear me? Yes. Hey, thanks. Um, so I wanted to ask about um, the thinking basketball uh, greatest peaks thing a little bit, and I kind of relates to the small forward rankings you guys are doing, the shooting guard rankings, and I want to know like how you weigh guys who maybe aren't going to be a LeBron type, where you can put them on a mediocre team and make them great, but a guy maybe more like Joe Ingles, who fits on pretty much every team and is a key contributor to great teams. So I want to know like how you weigh more like fit guys versus is um, the guys who are going to raise the ceiling more. I think that's a part of why, like when we're putting together, and this was true, this has been true for years. When we're putting together the rankings, something like it is, a, it is a factor that we consider is basically the how I put my criteria together is if you put this player on a random team, how they would do. So if somebody moves the needle a lot for twenty five teams and less for five, that helps compared to somebody who maybe they're they're only maximally used in like a couple of different spots because they're a good ball handler, but they're not good enough to be the lead guy. So you kind of like I brought up DeRozan actually when we did our small forward our small forward rankings I brought up DeRozan as a player who was hurt pretty significantly in my estimation by that and inter like floor raising actually does matter I think that I'm not somebody who sees it as a champion championship or bust proposition this came up actually when we're talking about position rankings Brandon Ingram was probably a good example of that where I think he is more valuable as a floor raiser than a ceiling raiser knowing what we know right now he can improve over time so it it absolutely does matter but if you are if if you're required to be in a specific ecosystem that is hard to create and that's what it basically is necessary for you to succeed that is something i discount now you could still be a really effective player joe ingles is somebody that i like i had him in my uh, i think it was like the like likely starter section which is actually above you know he's not even starting for the jazz but they are one of the league's best they are the league's best team in the regular season so i would say that does absolutely count it counts significantly for me for me, I think I'll do it by way of just examples with some of my rankings. Um, 2019, Suns fans and bloggers got really upset that I had Devin Booker ranked in the same tier, but slightly below Danny Green. And what I said at that time was there are probably more teams in the league that could use Danny Green than could use Booker as he was at that point. And this was December of, uh, no, this actually, sorry, this is December of 2018. Um, so, and Booker hadn't, he really actually ascended to a new level right after we did those rankings. But you know, as just kind of a volume score type of guy who's really bad on defense, if you say, hey, who would who would the sons of that era have rather had? Well, it's Devin Booker because they don't have anyone else who can score. Who would the Raptors of that era have la- rather had? Obviously, is Danny Green. They won a championship with Danny Green. Devin Booker wouldn't have been able to do the things that they had, and they wouldn't have given him the ball as much because they already had Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry, who were better options in that respect at that time. And then this year, I have Brandon Ingram and OG Ananobi ranked right next to each other as well, where Ingram is an all-star. OG Ananobi is probably never going to be an all-star unless he becomes more of a scorer. But OG Ananobi is probably gives you more championship equity than 
Brandon Ingram because he can really he can be on a championship team and I'm not sure that Brandon Ingram given his salary can have the same salary and the same role as he has now on a championship team and he hasn't really shown the ability to defend at, at a high enough level either uh, to play on a championship team so those that's kind of so I rank those pretty equally I would say uh but then that's probably about as high as you can get if you're kind of one of these role player guys you know, when you're getting to like Chris Middleton or Gordon Hayward compared to OG Ananobi, I have those guys a tier above OG Ananobi. So hopefully those examples were helpful, at least in, as far as my personal philosophy. Uh, what do you think of that? Yeah, I think that makes sense. I was just asking because um, uh, Ben Taylor did a hit his podcast and he was talking about how um, like you can't fit a LeBron or a Magic onto every team, but you can fit guys that play off ball more onto every team. And so they have more offensive, I guess, like championship equity, like you were saying. So I thought it was interesting. Thank you. Yeah, no, and I, I think in that context, I haven't listened to Ben's uh, pod on that yet, but obviously I've followed that with great interest. And yeah, maybe that's true to some degree. I think LeBron is just so good. Well, first of all, I would say it's more true for Magic than LeBron because for a lot of his career, Magic couldn't really shoot from the outside. And he also was a defensive liability for most of his career. He wasn't He could be a decent help defender at times, but not protect the rim. He got some steals, but he wasn't really going to be able to stop anybody one-on-one. Whereas LeBron, you can fit him in defensively in any position. And he also became a good enough shooter by his Miami days where you couldn't just leave him wide open. And so uh, I think you can fit in uh him uh, on more places maybe that than ben if, if uh, assuming that he said it the way you're you're paraphrasing but certainly that matters a little bit but also when you're the second greatest player of all time or maybe even the best player of all time you're probably going to slot in as the alpha dog on this team regardless and then it's everyone else who has the fit problems not you <laughs> <laughs> so it, maybe it's Dwayne Wade who has the fit problem instead of LeBron James, I, I guess. Yeah, um, he was he was saying that. that yeah, that, saying that was like good though. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry, what was that? I was just saying no, that he he you know, mentioned that like there's diminishing returns on on investment when you have like multiple um, like ball heavy, need the ball in their hand kind of guys. So yeah, yeah. And, that, and if those true. guys if those guys can really pass it, uh, then that also makes them them fit in. Yeah, like a lot better. I, I mean, yeah. DeRozan is probably until I mean this year is kind of a different version of it, but the, he's been my articulation of this exact problem. Like, I, I it's it's interesting to use LeBron uh, to use LeBron and Magic because they're so incandescently talented that I think the rules don't apply to them. Whereas anybody who's worse than they are, like if you go down a tier, those players who make your offense who who can run your offense but don't make your offense great, and that was my criticism actually of Zach Levine before this year was that he was capable of being a ball dominant but they hadn't pushed and some of that was better coaching some of that was better supporting talent and significant improvement from Levine so what's interesting is as as the argument as we're talking about right now I think that there is a valid point there but it's kind of the examples make it more challenging because they're so good that the that the that the the overall logic is a little bit different to me um I, I did really enjoy this line of thought though um and Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice 
heavy material that'll keep you warm. It's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout easy remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend Inochino. they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace user capspace we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us but we should jump on. Oh, now I'm getting, okay. They, they, they're back in. Okay. Rob McIntyre, okay, you, you are on. Uh, cool. Am I, am I in? Yes. All right, cool. Um, so in a prospective Jazz Clippers series, if we're to assume that the Clippers start with uh, Paul George at the two and then Kawhi, then Marcus Morris, how do you see the Jazz trying to defend that matchup-wise? I mean, that's it's a part of why I've been lower on the Jazz overall is that they don't have a ton of guys to defend that one-on-one. You know, they're, they're just their their perimeter rotation isn't isn't as athletic, isn't as strong, isn't as big physically, and that also creates problems. You know, like if they if you want to switch some of those, if if they intend to switch any of those actions, you create career things. And and I just don't think they have the personnel. I mean, Conley's going to be troublesome defensively in that series. Mitchell will try to hold his own, but you know he's not going to be amazing there. Ingles, the limitations for him. I mean, I think he can actually do well in a couple of spots, but he's better, you know, kind of in some of those man-to-man. I actually think he would spend more time on Kawhi than maybe some people think just because he's he can do a little bit there. And because, like, I like Royce O'Neal. I've been big on Royce O'Neal for a long time, but Kawhi specifically is a brutally tough matchup for him because Kawhi is so damn strong. So I, I think the answer is they would struggle. And, and I, the, the Clippers have struggled against against teams that, you know, like the, that Nuggets series. I, I didn't think the Nuggets had great personnel against them either, so it's far from a guarantee that they would, you know, win it going away. But it is a challenge. 
No, no arguments here. Uh, any reaction to that? Yeah, I think the big thing there is just you basically have Paul George playing the two for the Clippers, and then Mitchell is six foot one, Paul George is six foot ten, just about like that. That just seems like a rough spot. Um, I've seen a lot of like other analysts suggest that the Clippers could struggle in that series, and I just don't see it. Like if Gobert's big thing is taking away the rim, kind of jokes on him. Clippers never get to the rim anyways. So yeah, I, I don't see what no, that does. Great I, point. Yeah, I, uh, think- I mean, I think the the uh, we'll see. You know, I I think it'll still be somewhat of a defensive series. Uh, but I do think the Clips would have the advantage in the end. And I, I mean, mean, yeah, the, the potentially crazy race race for the four five series. If the, you know, with the unfortunate Jamal Murray injury news, if both the Lakers and Clippers are trying, but also not trying to play each other, it could be kind of amazing. Yeah, this, man, these injuries, it's just really shaking things up over there. I think Phoenix is kind of being overlooked in a lot of these playoff discussions. Cause just from a matchup perspective, like I think you could put Booker on Morris or Batum and then stick bridges on or uh, stick bridges on George with Crowder on Kawhi or switch those two around. And I think you're pretty much fine there, um, or at least much better than what the Jazz are doing, put, throwing up there. Yeah, they, the Suns haven't played that well against the Clippers, to my recollection. Uh, obviously, they're coming off a back-to-back OT game, so you don't want to put too much stock in, in that. I think this for this year, I'm going to try and just put more stock intellectually into how I think the matchups will play out than what the results have actually been of the games that are played between these teams this year because this season is just so fucked up. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think the Suns are being underrated as well. I think that they have more matchup versatility and have some ways that make them harder to play than the Jazz. Yeah, I think when your top three players are in a mobile center and then two little guards, like those guys can be as great as you want them to be, but that just becomes so difficult when you're matching up with these teams with so much more versatility. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point. Um, we can move on to Sam. Sam, you're next. Sammy there. Oh, hello. Yeah, guys, I, I will say while we're waiting for Sam, uh, I, I got an email from Locker Room. Oh, I'm sorry about that. My headset. All right, we got you. We got you, Sam. Oh, perfect. I'll give some tech uh, hints that after your question. I appreciate that. Um, so, uh, first off, Spurs fan, and thank you all for doing this. Um, I was just curious, with the Spurs looking like they are going in a bit of a downward spiral, um, do you have any – what would you have done if you were uh, the Spurs at the trade deadline? And do you think that one of the reasons why they held off on you know trying to keep their cap space clean was – uh, to have more negotiation leverage with uh, DeRozan in the offseason? Uh, second part first, I don't think that matters as much because the Spurs would have had sufficient bird rights either way. So they, they could have, they could, they could have, you know, you can't say match because they don't have match rights, but they would have had the capacity to go there. In terms of what the Spurs should have done, I think that one, one piece of information that we don't have that I wish I would have known is what Patty Mills wants in free agency this coming year. Like, I love Patty Mills. I think that he has made the Spurs a lot better over the last couple of years. If he wants to stay, then I would presumably have him around. And, and I think the Spurs are too good to, like, theoretically, like, tear it down. So then having Patty Mills helps. But Rudy Gay, especially if there was some lingering stuff, he ha- he's looked a little bit a little bit toasty to me over the last last little while. And so, if a team had these kind of lagging positive feelings for him and wanted to give up something of modest value for Rudy Gay, I would have done it. I, um, and but with Lamarcus, the challenge was always well, what kind of a trade makes sense? And something that I've talked about a fair amount of times on the pod and in my writing is there are not as many 
really bad contracts around the league right now. And so that was one of the ways that theoretically in another time they could have used LaMarcus to get something of value if the Spurs didn't care about having cap space. But that option wasn't as strong this year, partially because there aren't as many bad contracts and partially because the ones that exist, like let's say Kevin Love, the Cavs aren't giving up a bounty to get off of Kevin Love's contract because it doesn't it doesn't help them as much as it would another team. No, that makes complete sense. Yeah. And for me to to answer the first question about the trade deadline, I think if they had a first round pick out there for any of those four guys, they probably should have taken it. Understanding that you don't want Greg Popovich to be coaching a team with absolutely zero hope at going into the end as some of his potentially his final year, or maybe his last couple of years. I think they they owe it to him to not just be you know going full full on tank style, but they have enough young talent that they don't necessarily have to do that. I don't know even that losing DeRozan would have hurt them that much. There's times when he plays really well, other times that, that he doesn't help him as much. So uh, if there were a pick out there, DeRozan's big salary probably would have made that difficult. I don't think there was a team that really he made sense for. We we talked about that. We didn't really expect him to get traded. Rudy Gay, I would have moved for literally anything. And Mills, as Danny was saying, if he wants to resign <laughs> and he's an important part of their culture, then you know just trading him for a piddling second doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense there. No, I think that that makes a lot of sense, and I really appreciate y'all taking the time. Also, sorry for the technical difficulty beforehand. Oh, no hey, worries about uh, it. It's uh, it's a day of technical difficulties, by the way. So, uh, if you're having some problems, either getting in the chat or hearing us, uh, you can uh, maybe toggle airplane mode on and off. Uh, the the app had an update, and it's just having some trouble connecting uh, at times to their server. So uh, give that a shot or restart the app. That should should uh, hopefully clear up any problems. Who's next here, Danny? Uh, let's go with, I, I'm going to pronounce it, Ishan. If it's if I'm incorrect, correct me. You there? Hello? Um, I'll, I'll reiterate what I said before. Um, if if I if I call on you and, and for whatever reason there's a connection issue, um, just pop back in the queue when you think things are working again. And if I no- when I notice you, I will just put you back in the list because you were there. Hey. Technically, oh, there you are. Hey, how's it going? Hi, good. Um, so, I had a, so I guess after the Jamal Murray injury, um, do you think the Nuggets are the weakest West playoff team outside of whoever the eight seed would be? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, they might be, we talked about this a little bit today, actually. Um, and I think we'll see how whoever the eighth seed is playing, uh, or whoever the eighth seed is, is playing at that time. If it's Golden State, I think that Golden State even could beat them potentially. Now the Nuggets will have home court and maybe that, that'll matter. I don't know if I'd favor Golden State, but I, I might pick that one in seven. And yeah, I would probably would have the, the Nuggets as underdogs against every other team in the West playoffs, unless the Lakers don't, you know, that, that assumes health for all the rest of these teams, obviously. Well, and as we we kind of got into a little bit in a previous question, that could lead to some ridiculous jockeying by other teams, especially if they feel that if the Nuggets, like, I think the Nuggets are going to stay in the 4-5. And if that team also feels that they would rather be on that side of the bracket to face the Jazz than the Suns, the Clippers, whoever, like, being the 5 could be significantly better than some of the other options. And so that's a, it is a really wild circumstance. We're still far enough away that it's kind of conceptual right now, but it's going to become actual pretty soon. Uh, yeah, you think so? 
let's see who would have to come back for or to beat them i mean they are a couple games ahead of the the blazers four games ahead of the mavs in the lost column one game ahead of the lakers in the lost column i feel yeah i guess but then two of those would have to pass them to get them down to six yeah i think you're right i think probably the most likely is one of those teams passes them but not two so they're so they're in the five that, that seems to make sense Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easier to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Well, thank you for the question. Uh, we'll move on to AG. AG, you are on the air. Um, yeah. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay. So my question is about over the past years, we've always we've always seen like these centers at the top of the mock draft. So Evan Mobley's, I think, number two this year. James Wiseman was top three last year. DeAndre you know, the year before that. And I've always been kind of confused by that because oh, like we've talked about before, it's very rare for like a center to be a franchise player. Like I think, like unless until they're Joel Embiid or Jokic, they're not a franchise player. And I would say the center is probably the easiest position you can replace with like a replacement level player. So why do you guys think mock drafts still have like all these centers as like top three prospects so I, I do think that maybe the value of like a really awesome center has probably been devalued a little bit because just the center position in general was so down in the early part of the last decade and now with towns Jokic, Embiid, even Rudy Gobert, any of those guys, if you get that player, that's a totally fine 
number one overall pick. Even Bam probably would be a totally fine number one overall pick. And so you might say, yeah, you know, as a center, like the replacement level is pretty high. And but when you're drafting a center in the top three, you're thinking that they are going to become a a player or at least have the potential to become a player like the guys that you're talking about. If you have an all NBA center, that is a totally worthy pick. So these guys are getting drafted in part because there's a feeling that they have the potential to get to all NBA level. I didn't necessarily think that about Wiseman in particular, but also this was a pretty weak draft as well and we'll see where Wiseman ends up obviously it's not looking great for him so far even with respect to Edwards or Halliburton but also with Mobley again I haven't watched him a ton he is mobile enough that I think when you're talking about a guy who's going to be able to defend more out on the floor and really hold up in more of a playoff series like the way AD or Bam did last year then you feel a lot better about drafting that guy as opposed to even someone like Jokic or Embiid and Gobert who are going to be more uh, uh more paint bound senders defensively well so to kind of piggyback a little bit on nate's point the the question that i think is actually more compelling is not centers going in the top five it's centers going from five to 15 where there is an argument that if you can get like a, an elite guy somebody who moves the needle who you know i i use the phrase the him alone test where basically having that player makes it really likely that you'll have an above average offense or defense defense typically more often with centers though there are a couple of offense centers like Jokic that that's true for as well and if you can get somebody that you have a credible belief I think that moves it but the problem is I actually think the bigger degradation in value of centers is actually outside of that truly elite group where you know like a Clint Capella level player as, as well as he's played for the Raptors sorry for the Rockets and the Hawks now you know you get into those issues this is a criticism of Miles Turner and Sabonis and various others in the past is that you know you're you might not have and all the guys the Lakers signed because you, your best lineups might not have any of those guys on the floor and so I remember you know with somebody who was I, then I was I don't think I was even writing about the league then when the Warriors took Patrick O'Brien I had this idea that's like if a center is not good enough to take him in the top five you probably shouldn't take them at all in the lottery and there are some exceptions Turner incidentally is one of those but then the other reason kind of to answer your question as I understand it about the Mobley stuff and I'm hearkening back to my days as a draft analyst that's where I started with Real GM part of it is because those guys are bigger and stronger than their competitors and their film often looks good like you could think there there are differing different examples of it and whereas with guards like Trey Young I think you have to you had to be looking and Trey Young had better film than a lot of guards but you had to look more specifically and kind of parse out the things that were good and the things that were bad whereas centers can be more overtly dominant in lower levels and because this idea Kevin Pelton's talked about this well that athleticism based strengths those actually dissipate over time like your your athleticism peak is really really young whereas your skill peak use your skill development runs longer and it outpaces the physical degradation so that's why guys peak often in the like mid mid to late 20s range um yeah bas- yeah so my thought was basically i think there's like a lot of wishful thinking with the top prospect centers there like, is at, yeah like you look at Embiid and Jokic and towns like they're like anomalies like complete anomalies like Jokic is the best passing big ever Embiid is probably one of the most skilled bigs ever towns is the best shooting big ever like i i think there's a lot of wishful thinking when you look at center prospects that more often than not just doesn't work out yeah, I'd be interested to see whether at this point in time, 
centers uh, have a lower hit rate in the lottery than other players i would guess they probably i mean like bam demontis sabonis was a fine pick uh, at 11 when he was drafted there have been some hits at center and now i think probably the bigger issue that i have sometimes is just with the fit of some of these guys who are drafted like wiseman with the warriors and jackson hayes with the pels though he he and zion are actually starting to play together a little bit better because they're just this point zion thing i think has really opened up the floor for them a little bit but i think that's a little bit more of it uh you know and it's big men are just kind of more disappointing in general now when danny said about you know if you're not going to take a guy in the top five why take a center in the rest of the lottery john hollinger back in like maybe oh two or oh three did a study of lottery centers who weren't drafted in the top three and he found that they all sucked and back then his theory was if the guy's really any good and he's the center he would be drafted in the top three because everybody has like this huge hard on for centers so uh, that now i think has changed a little bit where people understand the value of center isn't really any greater than any other position and so i think that's normalized a little bit and you have had some successful picks later in the lottery in terms of center so i don't know the answer to that but i my initial thought is that maybe you're being a little bit too hard on some of these centers that that are drafted in the lottery and that there are some pretty good centers out there and also i I agree with the idea that hey a center being a best player on a championship team or even some of these highest highest level of teams having centers out there on the floor of any games doesn't really work that well but there's also 25 teams that aren't going to be in championship contention every year and those teams need good players and sometimes good players are at center uh, just just as a quick thing, I think this is an interesting thought to go through. Yeah. I wanted to look through the the smaller point guards that have been drafted in the top five the last couple of years. So 20, uh, 20, 2020, that would, you know, I wouldn't say anybody was because Lamelo is big enough that he doesn't qualify. Uh, 19, John Morant, Garland. We'll see. How, well, I mean, Jaws obviously doing well, but Garland, we'll see how that works out. Um, 18, Trey is probably the only guy who qualifies. He went fifth. 17, I guess, I guess I'll put Markel Fultz, Ball, and, and Fox in there. So kind of a mixed track record there. And then 16. Yeah. Uh, and, and don't forget, oh, you said top five. Okay. Never mind. Yeah. And then, and yeah. then, uh, Chris Dunn, he's a little bit bigger. Like he was, I mean, in many ways, too. But like the track record of drafting small guards isn't necessarily great either. Like it's, there's, there, and, and it's not for wings either. You can think about Josh Jackson or various other Dragon Bender, like Dragon Bender. There are a lot of, a lot of different types of, a lot of different types of guys that have failed going high. Um, but we can go to Hashim. You're next. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's uh, uh, the downside of these these tech issues. Is now everyone has to ask if, if we can hear them again. It's uh, <laughs> it is uh, it is bad radio for the podcast. But uh, unfortunately, I don't know if there's a way around it. Uh, so I had a question about uh, the stepping rule. Um, what would you guys be in favor uh, of outlawing it? And what do you think? Um, how is, has it really performed in terms of protecting the owners from itself versus? Um, providing flexibility for trades. I love the Sepian rule. I don't think it should be weakened or modified at all. I think that it protects teams from their absolute worst impulses, and it is not preventing teams from being really, really good. I mean, there are a bunch of different circumstances. Even somebody like the Nets, who most of the players that they have weren't like homegrown or anything, they still have this, you know, very good foundation. They gave up a ton for Harden, but did it. But the, I, I don't think that it's limiting teams' flexibility too much, especially now that they're, uh, it's becoming more in vogue to include pick swaps and everything else. So I, you know, I, I did this piece for Real GM 
some years ago going through basically why the Stepien rule existed because that was something you know I, I wanted to look up like why is it called the Stepien rule and all this stuff and when you when you go through it and look at that and I'm not going to to rattle it off all now just you know the calves of that era protecting teams from themselves in this like and sa- especially specifically sacrificing the future for the present that is important enough for competitive balance on both sides of the coin both making a team non-competitive for a half decade plus and also theoretically giving those players to really good teams like the Celtics benefited a lot from Stepien's in- from Stepien's aggressiveness and incompetence that both of those things are bad enough that it justifies curtailing team spending, team's willingness to, to do all that stuff. Yeah, as I said in my chat today, I'm not in favor of any salary cap rule that would make things less complicated because it would mean that my job was worth less. <laughs> uh, but but uh, on a serious note, I agree. If you, I don't think that this Nets renaissance probably would have happened if they hadn't at least had you know what one other pick at least something to yeah maybe it would have happened anyway i guess it only ended up being that 2017 swap uh that they got but um that they're able to retain at least but i mean some of these teams like i don't think that the drew trade i don't know if the harden trade i mean it's, it's both those are looking pretty decent for right now the Kawhi, or the, i should say the pg trade one of those three is going to turn into a problem and those teams are going to not be good at those times and have given up a lot of picks and so to at least force them to retain a few of them i think is important and also even if the team is continuing to try and be good force them to retain those picks and then they can always just trade them at the point of that draft as well but at least you have a little bit more certainty about where you are and what the pick is when you make that trade so it doesn't even really hamstring you that much going forward also the other thing i'll say is i think uh i rarely disagree with the bobby marks and zach Lowe, but i think they've been a little bit too unequivocal about oh if you have picks out in the future that go until 2027 you can't trade a pick and while that is not really true you can do first available draft and then just the other team is making a bet that your the previous pick will convey enough for you that pick to go as well but so so you still can make a deal it's just a little bit harder to get the other team to agree so i I think there's enough flexibility here i I like the current balance uh between being able to make a ton of moves for the future and also still just not completely kneecapping your franchise right i mean i i think um, do you do you feel differently? No, no, I, I largely agree. I think actually that Heat, the only reason that Heat have Adebayo and Hero is because they couldn't trade those picks in advance. Um, you know, <laughs> that's a great point, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. So, you well, know. and 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 that's a great a great part of it is you know teams don't necessarily know where the winds are blowing, and if they have basically no pathway to improving for a five six year span, it's going to be brutal for the fan base, even because things can always change. Right, right. Well, that that's a great question. Uh, thanks so much for asking. Actually, we can do this very briefly. We got a question in the um, from Michael in the discussion of the last elite center to win a ring, and I would argue Anthony Davis qualifies. I mean, he was primarily playing center for the Lakers, one of our ten best players in the league at that point. But if we're going with an elite center only player, so like somebody who didn't go, like then does I guess does Duncan qualify for some that that last Spurs team? I guess that's probably what it would be. Yeah, I guess you would still consider him as one of the better centers at that point in 2014, and then you probably have to go back to Shaq in 2006. But KG, I mean, the, 
I, I would say that Mobley, for example, is kind of more of that KG and AD archetype. Now, is he going to be as good as them? Probably not. You know, those are probably both going to be top 30 players of all time when it's said and done. So you don't want to count on that. But I still think in the modern NBA that he's really more of a center uh, when it really counts. As At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. John, you you are next up. John Perry, to be clear, there are two Johns at the questions. Hello? Can you hear me? Hey. Uh, my, my question is, a lot of people are very anti-three-point era. Like, three-pointers are going up, three-point attempts are going up. Is that a negative thing? And if so, if that's a negative thing, how will we slow that down? I see pretty much two main avenues that we can go down. One would be much harder, and that's moving the three-point line back, because then I'll change up the court dynamic, the court uh, dimensions, and then floor space, it would be weird with the corner shots. Or we can make three-pointers worth four points and then twos are worth three points. So three-pointers are worth less relative to twos. What are your guys' thoughts about that? Well, so where I'll start with, you, you said a lot of people, and there are a few people in particular. There's a reason when we did our April Fool's pod that we kind of made fun of the idea of changing it uh, because I, I'm not a big fan of changing it. And the NBA's studies that they have done, I highly recommend everyone on, on here listen to Ben Taylor's Thinking Basketball podcast where he had Evan Wash from the NBA on. They talked about a lot of these issues. And the NBA's research has shown that, no, fans actually really like three-pointers a lot. The NCAA, which some would say is more popular than the NBA, has had three-point attempt rates much higher than the NBA until very, very recently. And that hasn't hurt that sp- sports popularity at all and they have even a shorter three-point line for most of of this time uh and i I like the the way that the three-point line opens up the room i mean the the biggest difference there are two big differences in style of play between what it was back i guess you could say three uh, differences in style of play one is a lot more fast breaking i think everyone agrees that that's good the next one is more threes being taken but when you look at the threes basically you're turning spot up two-point jump shots into spot up three-point jump shots I think pretty much everyone here, and you guys can disagree in the chat or whatever, I would rather see a spot up three than a spot up two. Most fans uh, would rather see that. I'm sure it's just more exciting. It's kind of, while it's in the air, it's like more of a pregnant pause of like, ooh, this could be three. This is huge. Fans really can get excited for that in a way that they don't for a long two-point jumper. You know, a big man spotting up from 17 feet, it just isn't as exciting. And then you're getting a little bit more efficiency at the rim as well because you have uh, spread out more with the threat of the three-point line you it's easier for perimeter players to attack everyone's like oh the decline of post play well i'm sorry posting up is just like not really that exciting when every single team is just forcing it into the post and then three guys go stand on the other side i think driving pick and roll play is much more exciting and getting to the basket is more interesting as well and also we're in now the lowest foul era ever in the nba and i think nobody likes seeing fouls and seeing guys get into foul trouble and watching free throws so to me the style of play is awesome right now the only change i would consider would be widening the court so that there's more space on the sideline guys don't step out of bounds and that corner three isn't any easier than any other three so i respectfully disagree 
disagree with you that there's any, and sorry for the long rant here, but I, I've got a lot of thoughts on this. I respectfully disagree with you that there's any need to change up uh, the number of threes that are being taken right now. The only thing I'll add is that I have a different perspective on this as somebody who didn't grow up or grew up or experience in any other way, 90s basketball. And when I've gone back, including one time with um, with Nate and Ethan Sherwood-Strauss and Jack Winter, we wa- there was a 90s Knicks-Bulls game that was on after yeah, a dunk yeah. contest one year. I, I remember that. game. It was game four of uh, 1993 playoffs. That Worth noting, by the way, that that is before the real, the real slowdown happened right. to the late 90s, early 2000s. But so to the intense amusement of both Ethan and Nate, I was I spent the entire time just talking about how terrible it was to watch and how how unwatchable it was and that was as somebody who just didn't have it in my bones as something that was supposed to be good or that I had any nostalgia yeah. for. I thought it was This is awful. Jordan dropping 54 points yeah. against an all-time great defense. And way. I was just I was not having it. Not having it at all. And so I I I'm not saying I am a calibrator but if we're if we're comparing it to somebody who had no experience with it, who had no sentimentality for it, I thought it sucked. So, so there we go. So yeah, do you want you want to push back on us at all here? I am not anti three pointer. I'm my bad. I did not want that to be. I'm not some weird old old head that's a dinosaur. Like, <laughs> all right, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I mischaracterized you in that in that case. Uh, a lot of people like the ISO players that take terrible like mid range pull up shots. Like the like, I, I guess we can say Kobe, Allen Iverson was famous for that. Jordan took some more efficient shots, but like those like fade away like uh, seventeen footers. You know what I'm talking like the pull away. Yeah. Mid- Sure. Um, people really like those those types of shots, and people value those shots a little bit better than like a wide open three pointer. And people clown LeBron that say if he drives and then kicks to an open three pointer instead of being like Jordan, who will take a contested two. No, I, well, and here's the other thing too. And, and Seth Partno has done a good job on this. I mean, it, it's really so many of our problems are not actually problems when you look at the data, right? But, oh, the mid-range is declining. Post-play is declining. Well, there are still plenty of players who post up. Luka Doncic completely destroyed the Spurs at the end of a game on Sunday by just posting up every single time. It's just maybe a little bit more perimeter players who are dribbling into post-ups rather than trying to enter the ball. And in terms of the self-created mid-range stuff, the stuff that like you're talking about where it's like, oh man, what an incredible move. One-on-one hit this contested mid-range. I, I enjoy that. I enjoy sometimes when guys take those bad shots and get really hot the way Kobe or Jordan used to. Uh, there really aren't that many fewer of those contested mid-rangers from stars. Kawhi is another guy, right? I mean, he he made a living on that in the 2019 playoffs. The shot that the so, so-called decline of the mid-range, it's all passing to your guy spotting up, you, you know, Udonis Haslam style 15 feet away from the basket on the baseline. Like, that's the shot that doesn't exist anymore. And cry me a river that that shot is gone. I don't give a shit about that. Hey, Udonis is still getting paid. It's working out for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, a good, that's a good point uh yeah he has he has i mean that's that's pretty amazing he hasn't really he hasn't been an effective player since probably 2011 and he's this is now 2021 he's played 10 more years i i guess part of it was just because he took so much less money a bunch of times and so they feel like they have to keep paying him but it, it is incredible uh so we actually we have six more people in the queue and we started a little late so i think we'll go we'll maybe go a little longer but let's let's try to type we'll make it a lightning at least a lightning ish round that might turn into lightning very quickly starting with james james uh hey guys can you hear me yes 
Um, so unfortunately, my question isn't very short, but I'll try and make it brief. So uh, if the scenario was that you're trying to build a roster of eight players to win a, a modern game of basketball, and you get to pick from any player uh, in NBA history at their peak, who would you choose? And I could also give you my team and you could react to it if you want to make it quicker. Yeah, why don't we, why don't we do that? I mean, because that, that could be like a whole podcast someday. So I let's uh, let's not step on that. Why don't you give us your team and, and we'll react to it? Uh, sure. So my starters would be Kevin Garnett, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, and Steph Curry. And my bench would be Larry Bird, Anthony Davis, and Shaq. And I might not play Shaq just depending on the matchup. I'm kind of afraid of him just getting destroyed if he has to get it on the floor. Uh, I think you might want to have one more guard coming off the bench who can really dribble just a smaller faster guard who can also just you know, guard another team's point guard if you want to play a conventional pick and roll defense i like Shaq just because he's like all right it's not working for us for some reason now we can just put in this other guy who's gonna really cause a bunch of problems Lo- love the the kg and uh ad those versatile bigs uh, always always like those a ton um mj and lebron having them both be out there is pretty good might be a little light on shooting potentially what do you think danny yeah shooting was the first was the first oh, did, thing did he I say th- steph he said steph he right? said steph yep he's, yeah, that, he's that, decent that as helps. a shooter that helps um yeah. but yeah i was wondering the first the first guy i thought of which is which is funny because i know that he's not thought of in these conversations was like chris paul's not a bad guy to have on this team just can can run a pick and roll can play a size but you might argue that with when you have braun and you have steph curry you might not need him but also, Paul's ability to defend multiple positions despite being small of height, I think, could be potentially useful. But yeah, shooting, shooting would be a challenge. And I, you know, I, the, Shaq is interesting because he's so incredibly dominant at what he does. And and I think that it is a a, a worthwhile use of like basically one quote unquote traditional center is basically the ultimate break glass in case of emergency. And I I, I actually re- I like that a lot about that team. I might want to get either Clay Thompson or Paul George on there just because they can fit in any one of your lineups and don't need the ball to be successful. They can shoot it. Maybe Clay would, would be it actually. I mean, he's just Clay might just be the easiest fit guy because he can play in any defensive system. Like maybe system. Clay, over, Clay over Bird, maybe? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you might even want to have Clay in your starting lineup. And Steph, may, maybe I would go away from Steph just because he's a little bit smaller. Uh, but obviously, I mean, having that level of shooting would be pretty ridiculous uh, as well. Uh, that, yeah, that's a that's a pretty good team. <laughs> it's not, not bad. Well, thanks very much, James. Um, Paul, you are next on the line. Hey, guys. Uh, I'll keep it quick. I'm curious as to how you or how you would evaluate Dennis Schroeder this year, only because he's basically played half the year without LeBron and AD, and he was brought in to kind of take over some of the scoring load and some of the ball handling role. But now he's doing it basically all on his own, and I'm not sure how to evaluate him, especially for about if the Lakers are about to give him twenty million dollars. I'm just curious as to how you would evaluate it going. Forward. You are testing how quickly I can search things on uh, just because I wanted to have some numbers to back up what I was thinking. Well, here I, I, I'll I'll respond quickly while you do that I already I, okay sure okay you got it all right go yeah. for it so what I had noticed with the Lakers was I thought their offense didn't really have much of a verve uh, when Schroeder was playing without LeBron and those numbers are right um they're 108.5 offensive rating filtering out garbage time in those minutes like that is not particularly strong especially when you think about that the Lakers aren't just playing you know it's not like those Russell Westbrook and a bunch of defenders like they've had Marky Morris out there Harrell's been out there a lot of that time so that that is a concern and that was going back to what I thought Shooter became overrated in his Oklahoma City tenure, Oklahoma City tenure was 
that he wasn't that guy and that he benefited from playing next to Chris Paul and, I mean, to maybe a lesser extent, Shea. Um, so that part hasn't been great. And the Lakers offense, he I think he's been better. You know, like he's fit reasonably well in the with LeBron minutes. But I, I agree that a part of the appeal of Schroeder and why they gave up one of their few kind of assets to get him was also so that he could shoulder the burden when LeBron isn't out there. Yeah, and re-signing him, they kind of have to just because you can't lose that salary slot unless they could get a trade exception for him wherever else he signs so that's that's uh they're in the bird rights trap uh, with him now they knew that when they signed him should we move on Danny yeah but thank thank you to Paul for the question um next is um Joskaram that's how I pronounce it are you there oh I disappeared um if that was me just just put yourself back in I'll, I'll answer it next but uh John you're you're on the air all right thanks for having me on guys um Warriors talk just a brief bit looking through the salary cap sheet and stuff um is there any thoughts on what they can do to improve the bottom half of the roster with like the like handful of millions of dollars that they may possibly have available if they don't pick up Smiley Lee or Mulder's um non-guarantees if they just outright get rid of them I mean, they're mostly going to be working with minimum contracts. So I think that is a real challenge. But something that the Warriors have, have, you know, they've lost out at different moments in time on over the last couple of years was giving roster spots to players that clearly cannot play for them that year. And if your goal is to be a, you know, like a high-end playoff team or to be anything else, like it's really hard because injuries happen because everything else. And so like Smiley Geach this year is a great example of that. Jacob Evans out of the moment time. Now you could argue Jordan Poole last year, but the idea was that he would be a better player than he is now. Um, he's improved a lot to his immense credit. So I would say that's the biggest thing. Um, I mean, the other thing that Warriors fans have to be hoping for is that Joe Lacob is willing to use the middle-level exception because, you know, the Warriors can theoretically offer somebody for the MLE. They can offer them playing time. And so if you can get somebody better, you know, maybe you're not going to get the ring hunters that they were getting before, but get somebody who can be a top six, top eight player in your rotation, that would be huge too. Yeah, I'm wondering if they also have a vet minimum available to them or not. Um, like if they had those two options, if that would at all help them. Because that's kind of the fans' number one complaint is that the bench just isn't there enough for them. Uh, but they kind of seem kind of hamstrung there. And, you know, really the guys that are helping them the most are like Juan Toscano Anderson, who's not even on a contract, really. Uh, he's on a two-way. So, you know, it's like, hey, what can, what can they do to get better? <laughs> Thanks, guys. Oh, thank you, John. Um, last question, um, Eli Blue, you are on. Eli, you there? Yeah, we got to we got to get Eli on here. He, he's he brings the stats. All right, uh, that's disappointing. Let's uh, let's uh, let's see here. Take maybe we could take one. Is there another speaker request, or can we take one from the? Uh, he's, oh, he, he says, says he's, he's here. Well, put it here. I'll, I'll 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 cancel it and then put in a new speaker request, and then we'll see if it works. Yeah, or or restart your app, Eli, if that doesn't work. Oh yeah. Well, while we're waiting, while we're waiting to see if the speaker request comes in for you, like we got, there was a question in the discussion about like overhauling the supermax and interesting that kind of two different times in this, the idea of protecting a team from themselves has come up. And I think that the eligibility isn't too far off if the, like of the, the premise that you know, the, that if you're going to escalate it. But I think the solution that you have talked about before, and, and you've convinced me on this, not that I need much convincing, I just need somebody to pitch it, is that the actual way to overhaul the Supermax is just to change where the max thresholds are and not tie it to experience in the way that it is right now. Yep, I, I agree with you there. If you do have to have different thresholds for it, I guess, yeah, maybe it would have to be that you've made first team all NBA in one of the last two years. 
something like something like that um but only one of the last two years uh can we uh should we try and find eli again here i don't have another speaker request so all right well uh sorry about the technical difficulties Uh, again i'm assured that they are working on things but great to have all of you in here and uh john hollinger and i will be on tomorrow at 2 eastern 11 pacific to do the same thing we usually record our full podcast first but then we do questions for about 20 minutes or so at the end anything else you want to say before we go here Danny? no just thank everybody for for joining us and nate and i will be back on locker room next tuesday at six eastern three pacific just like always so if you want to if you want to join us we really enjoy it and if you missed part of this um hopefully you can hear it in podcast form at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.